We're going to have a time around God's Word. We've been thinking about different Christmas carols and the scriptures behind them. We'll do that one more time here. And we'll start with a reading from God's Word. So I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. If you're using the Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you, you can find Psalm 98 on page 500. Page 500 for Psalm 98. And uh, I know you just sat down, but we do stand for the reading of God's Word, so I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 98, a psalm. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for He's done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Yahweh has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to Yahweh with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, Yahweh. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before Yahweh, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's word. You can be seated and let's pray. Father, as we pause with all the excitement and joy of Christmas to consider your word and to consider what you have said on this day, we pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts reminding us of its truths in just the ways we need to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there is a hymn writer, an old hymn writer named Isaac Watts, and he wrote one of the most famous Christmas carols called Joy to the World. Any kids know that song? Yes. Pop quiz, kids. The first verse of Joy to the World, does anybody know how it starts? How does Joy to the World start? Just say it if you think you know. Kids, nobody knows? Okay, Joy to the World. So this is a little bit of a trick question. Kids, I stumped you. You guys had me on the hot seat. Now I got you on the hot seat. That's actually not the first verse of Joy to the World. Shocker. Isaac Watts wanted everybody to sing the psalms with great joy. And so he applied his talents to take different psalms and write new verses for them that rhymed and caught the meaning of Christ in them and things like that. And so he took Psalm 98 and he turned it into a seven-verse hymn, carol. And the first verse goes like this. I don't have it memorized. To our almighty God... New honors be addressed. His great salvation shines abroad and makes the nations blessed. And then there's two more stanzas that we don't sing. 
and then we get to joy to the world. He actually divided it into three parts, or two parts. The first part, the first three stanzas, and the second part, which starts with joy to the world, the Lord has come. And somewhere along the line, somebody lopped off the first three verses, put a new exuberant tune to it, and it took off as a Christmas carol. But it actually is his paraphrase of Psalm 98. So we're going to look at Psalm 98 just briefly together, but consider what it has to say. And as I read it, you probably got a pretty good sense of its main message. It is a call to rejoice, right? To sing joyfully. So we, we, uh, we have been looking at the different carols of Christmas, and a few weeks ago we, we learned that one of the sounds of Christmas is singing. As Utah brought us to hark the herald angels sing, and we're all to join in that song. Because of the glories of the incarnation, we sing. And then we, then we looked at a feeling, an emotion of Christmas, a sentiment of Christmas from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Isaiah, and it was longing, an unexpected emotion that we should be feeling at Christmas time, but a biblical one, one of the key ones biblically. And then last night we looked at another sound of Christmas. Does anybody remember what the sound we heard about last night was? Silence. Silence. Thank you. I'm glad somebody was paying attention. Silence. So singing and silence, emotions, longing, and in Psalm 98, joy. Very different, aren't they? There's a big spectrum there. But we're going to be looking at joy as a theme or emotion of Christmas. Now, there are nine verses in Psalm 98, and it divides into three parts of three verses. So it's three verses, three verses, three verses. And the first three verses start with this call to joyous song and list a bunch of reasons to rejoice. A bunch of reasons to rejoice. And I want to I just draw out two parts of, of what it has to say about reasons to rejoice. First, you see there in verse 3, so basically it says, oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, and then it says four, and it just gives a bunch of reasons. It's all about, it's all saying the same thing. God has saved. He has saved. He's acted marvelously to save. But I want to draw attention to just a few aspects of this. In verse 3, it says, he has remembered his steadfast love. When the Bible talks about Yahweh remembering, about God remembering, it's not like how we remember. Like, oh man, I just need to remember where I put my keys. Do we remember all the gifts for the kids? No. No. <laughs> That's on you, Matt Laidlaw. <laughs> when God remembers, it's something that he already knows, but in a unique way, he calls it to mind. Brings it to bear because he's going to be acting. Why is it saying that his salvation is an act of remembrance? Right after this, he remembered his steadfast love. That word steadfast love, there's a really special word in Hebrew for it. It's called chesed love. It's a special kind of love that translators struggle to know exactly how to, to capture it. They might say everlasting love. But it has to do with the love that God has bound himself to in his covenant. It is a covenant-keeping love. It's his promised love, a love that he said he would give, that he's giving. And so this is, this is rejoicing because not just God loves, and he's got this, oh, he's loving you. 
No, he has remembered a covenant, a promise he made. Way before, way before Christmas, way before Psalm 98 was written, he had promised to rescue. He'd promised to bring salvation. He had told Adam and Eve that a, a seed from Eve would come and crush the serpent's head. A promise. He had told David that one of his seed, one, one of his children would reign with a forever kingdom. God had promised salvation in all sorts of different ways. And saying, God has brought that about. That promised king, that promised Satan crusher who would overcome the curse, overcome the darkness, that salvation has come. That's why we rejoice. And in this psalm, you see at the end of verse 2, it's been revealed in the sight of the nations. At the end of verse 3, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. And then right in verse 4, we're not quite there yet, but it talks about all the earth making this joyful noise. This is the salvation that God has promised, but it's a promise that is for everybody. There's not an in crowd. Christianity is not a clique religion. At least biblical Christianity isn't the one that God wrote. It's not a, hey, if you look like me or have a similar life as me or if you've grown up in my culture, then you're welcomed in and other people know. One of the unique things about Christianity is it's for everybody. All nations. All backgrounds. Which means if you are here or if you're hearing this message today, the promised Salvation, the rescue God promised, is a promise that is for you. It is a gift, Christmas gift for you, that all you have to do is unwrap and receive. All nations. This is the reason we rejoice. First three verses. The next three verses just tell us over and over again, rejoice. Use all sorts of instruments. Everybody's supposed to be doing. I don't care. Nobody should be left out. We are to rejoice. Now, what I love about this is as we think about the different Christian, Christ, Christmas emotions, we, we looked at longing. And when, when, we, when we looked at longing, we saw how Isaiah is just tapping into the longings we would already have. He doesn't say, you need to long. You do long, and he fulfills it. But when we get to rejoicing, it's a, com it's a command. Like, we have, to, we have to call ourselves to rejoice. It's not necessarily our natural inclination to rejoice. Now, there are some people who are temperamentally more upbeat and plucky. And there are some people who think, you know, happiness is just something that we should... We should just be able to have this time of year or whatever. Just be happy. That's not biblical happiness. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy understands that this might be one of the hardest days of your life right now. Because you're celebrating Christmas in a way you never thought you'd be celebrating it. Or biblical joy understands there could be heartache that you carry 
Maybe, maybe Christmas was supposed to be special and you ended up wanting to tear your kids' hairs out last night or this morning. You're supposed to be happy for what I'm doing for you. And you realize, I am a sinner. Why do we have joy? It's a call. It's a call to rejoice. Of course, there's a grounding. We've been told in the first three verses and the last three verses, we're we're told why we're to rejoice. And it's because of what God has done in remembering his steadfast love and bringing salvation. It's because of Christmas. But I want to say something for us in this room who maybe struggle to rejoice. I think oftentimes our struggle to rejoice is a reminder to us or it's a trigger to us to to ask ourselves, what is it we most long for? To check our desires, our longings. Because joy is typically the byproduct of receiving what we long for. So, when we're not feeling joy, when we're not wanting to sing and shout for joy, it's actually an occasion for us to say, what is it that I long for the most? What is is the, the thing that's absent from my life that's causing me to not have joy. And then here's the neat thing, that if we're in Christ, if God has changed our hearts, what we long for most are things like deliverance from our sin, reconciliation to our God. We want to be more like Jesus and be conformed to him so that we can share his light to everyone. Those are the things we long for most. We want God to be glorified. We want to know him better. And do you know what? No matter what your circumstances, if you're in Christ, those things can be accomplished. And so as you long for those things, in this psalm, it's a longing for his ultimate deliverance. The longing that we talked about from Isaiah, that O come, O come, Emmanuel, longing. It's saying it's come. And that's why we can rejoice. So if we're struggling for joy, we don't just say, well, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to wake up this morning and be happy. No, we have to go and remind ourselves, what is God doing? What has he done? Is that what I long for most? And as my heart's more shaped around those desires, I'll be able to shout and sing for joy. So the longing and the joy go together. The silence and the singing go together. The last three verses give us another reason to rejoice because, again, biblical Christianity is always grounding, grounding us in a reason for joy. We're not naturally joyous people. We need to be reminding ourselves of what we need. And here, it reminds us of God as a God of justice. In the first three verses, it's about what he had done, what God had done. He remembered, he saved. In the last three verses, it's about what he will do. He is going to bring ultimate justice. The scales of injustice in this world will be balanced, and he will bring in a just and perfect kingdom. 
In a sense, as you look at those two, the past tense and the future tense, you can think of the two comings of Christ. The first coming, the promises are fulfilled. Jesus has come. And then at his second coming, will he come with the sword to bring justice and to establish his kingdom? You have them both here. I love uh, verses 7 and 8. Seas roaring, rivers clapping their hands, their hills singing for joy. Well, what does that mean? We, I mean, that's part, you hear that real clearly, right? Uh, in, uh, in Joy to the World, heaven and nature sing, right? The, the fields and the floods. Do I do those gestures right, kids? The fields and the floods, the rocks, hills, and plains, they repeat the sounding joy. How do they do that? Do they like all of a sudden, God's going to say, okay, now mountains, you can talk finally. Finally, praise God. You know, is that what's going to happen? I'll tell you, God could do it if he wanted to. He's made donkeys be able to talk. But I think more likely what's happened is, is we know that when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam rebelled against God and unleashed that darkness, it contaminated everything, including nature. And there's a sense in which nature itself is shackled by our rebellion. We who were put in charge of the earth, it's, it's shackled. It's not what it's to be, what it's supposed to be. It creaks and groans and it's not as it should be. Nature's attacking itself, devouring itself. There's calamity and dis- disaster and destruction. And one day when that, when that curse is lifted, it's going to be it's going to feel like the the rivers are clapping their hands. The mountains are telling out the glory of God because we're going to see them in a beauty and a splendor we could never imagine because we've only known this beautiful world under the chains of our sinfulness and rebellion. So yes, it's it's a joy that all All the world is to sing, right? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Heaven and nature sing. The rocks, the hills, the plains, all creation singing in joy because, because the Savior has come and he will one day return and reign with justice. Interestingly, joy to the world, in some ways, in some ways, is a a song about Jesus' second coming. It talks about his first coming, but it also talks about his second coming. Psalm 98 does that. The first three verses more focused on his first coming. The last three verses more focused on his second coming. Joy to the world could be sung any time of the year, especially if we added those first three verses. But then we'd have a seven-verse hymn, and that's beautiful. We can take it. can be a little long to sing. But here's what's interesting. Psalm 98 was one of the key psalms of Christmas. Luke points this out to us. Because Luke tells us about Mary's song after she found out she was going to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Mary's song, if you read through it, is littered with language from Psalm 98. It's like this was the song rolling in her head when she wrote the Magnificat, or at least one of the psalms rolling in her head. In fact, 
One author says that Mary is just the echo of what Psalm 98 is the voice for. And then, and then in Zechariah's prophecy, which we looked briefly at last week, that in some ways cap, you know, pulls from Isaiah, it also uses this language. You can hear Psalm 98 in that. But I want to look at one in particular, just so you can see how much this informed. Um, there's Simeon in Luke chapter 2. I think it's on page 857 of the Bible in front of you. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. So Simeon was this prophet who was waiting. God had told him, I'm going to fulfill my promises. I'm going to remember my covenant, my steadfast love in your generation. You'll see it. So Simeon is getting old. He's longing for the day. And then suddenly the boy Jesus comes to the temple and he picks up Jesus in his arms and listen to what he says in Luke 2, starting in verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And then he quotes Psalm 98. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's a direct quote. And then thematically, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Psalm 98 was a song rattling around in his brain too. So when we sing joy to the world, even if it's only the last four stanzas, we're singing the very song, paraphrased, that was on Mary's heart and Zechariah's heart and Simeon's heart when Christmas came. Salvation has come. So wherever you are this morning, whatever you're coming this day with, whatever excitements and elations or whatever heaviness and burdens you're coming into this room with, know that joy can be your Christmas sentiment. Not in an empty hollow way where you conjure it up, but where you understand that God has remembered and he has saved our world from the burdens we carry. And because of that, regardless of our circumstance, we can have Christmas joy. Let's pray together and then sing joy to the world. Father, we've covered the gamut in these four carols we've looked at. Singing because of the incarnation. Silence because you have roused yourself and come down to save. Longing because that's the reason there is a Christmas, because the longings in our hearts. Joy, because you've answered those longings, the deepest, truest longings. And so now as we sing Psalm 98, the song that Mary and Zechariah and Simeon were thinking of, may we join with them in great joy, not because of gifts and presents and good sentiment and family, but because of Christ. Amen.